Everybody good? Oh, thank you, Lord. The Lord's good, isn't he? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So, you know, Gene mentioned uh, Wednesday or Tuesday, which one it was, Jewish, Wednesday night, Jewish New Year. Everybody knew that. Uh, and that's a very significant time uh, naturally and spiritually, actually. Okay, whether people know it or not, that really is the, there's a lot of stuff that goes on spiritually around that. Um, you know, that's when some of these high-level prophets do get these, get these words from the Lord for the future. Uh, you know, the, Bob Jones does one called the Shepherd's Rod, and where God really speaks to him and has a visitation, you know, on that night. Uh, and then, you know, I think Bobby Connor does that. And different people, you know, have these revelations because God is, is speaking uh, because that, that thing was, that came way before the, you know, that's an old, old, old. How, how long has that been around? 3,000 years? The, yeah. It was after the Babylon captivity. So this is a really important thing. Um, so I don't know if, if any of you guys have been connected in the spiritual world very much recently, but if you have, you've probably noticed that it's sort of been a sort of uh, just a buzzy time. You know, I mean, yeah, interesting. It's just it, it's not been like normal, is all I can say. I mean, I don't really, I'm not an expert. I'd have concluded one thing about I'm no prophet. Uh, that's not really what God's called me to be, but I am called to be real spiritual, you know, everybody's called to be real spiritual and connect with the spiritual world, and uh, so this is the thing um, that I want to share, this, first of all, i got a couple of questions, okay, and, and these all apply, okay, just trust me, uh, who in this room would like to have a new beginning, raise your hand, or a fresh start, anybody want, would like a new beginning or a fresh start, most, most people would, the ones who didn't raise their hand, well, I believe you really would. You just, you're just being rebellious. I was sharing how, that's how I used to be. I was really rebellious when I first got saved. If I went to a church service and they said, stand up, I wouldn't stand. I'm not standing. I'll stand up when I feel God moves me to stand up. Ain't nobody going to tell me to stand up. Raise your hands. I'm not raising my hands. That ain't, that ain't real. You're telling me. To, well, I had this bad, and finally the Lord had to deal with me about it and let me know that, you know, you need to. You need to lighten up, man. You know, <laughs> go with the flow, son. You know, if they say stand up, just stand. Something may happen. Uh, so I just want to encourage you. If you want a fresh start, amen. <laughs> Anyways, uh, if, so if you would like a fresh start, um, would you be willing for an ending? Okay? You see, you can't have a new beginning without something ending. You know? And that's really what the Lord was speaking to me. Is like there has to, there's an ending of things. And I think that's one reason that things have been the way they have been spiritually is God is trying to bring some things to an end and so He can bring some things, bring something new in. And so we really have to allow the Lord to bring some things to an end in our life. And, it, you know, it could be relationship, it could be spiritually. It's not, I'm not even talking about bad things, but God wants to bring things to an end so He can bring something new in. It also says in Hebrews 10 um, that... Y'all looking awful serious at me. <laughs> it says that uh, Jesus, it says uh, in the volume book is written of, of me, I came to do your will, O God. And it says, and it's sort of odd to me, it's like, then it says, and he takes away the first to establish the second. 
In other words, God came to take something away. So when God, this is how, this is how God works. When God takes something away, He's always got something better in, in mind. He doesn't take away from us and give us less. He always has more. He always something, has something greater that He wants to give to us. But we don't, we don't think in those terms. We think in terms of loss, and so we think in terms of holding on. And so there's a time, we're in a time now where some, it's time to give up some things. It's time to let go of some things. Okay? And only you can determine what that is in, in your life. But God's kind of, if we want to come into a new beginning, we've got to let go. We've got to let some things come to an end in our lives. And so that's really a, a lot of what has to be. Another thing the Lord did speak to me about the future, He told me, don't worry about the future. That's not, your job is not to worry about the future. Okay, because I think sometimes we have a tendency to try to look so far out there that we miss what's right in front of us. You hear what I'm saying to you? And we're looking so far down the road, and, and it's, it's bringing confusion in our life. And where God wants us to look right, what's right in front of your face is something that's right there. And God really wants to bring like a new wine to the church. He wants to bring, bring new wine to people. But in order for Him to do that, He's got to give us new wineskins. Okay, we've got to allow something. That's a new thing. And the old wine skin won't necessarily work anymore. In fact, Jesus made it real clear that he wouldn't pour his new wine in the old wine skin because he did not want to wine, that wine skin to be destroyed and the wine to be spilled. So it was his mercy. He withheld it. And so what we've got to do is allow the Lord to give us a new wine skin to, be able to, re, to, to give us the new wine that he wants us to give us. But if we're holding on to what was old... It, it's not, we won't be able to get the new because he, God doesn't destroy things. He, he builds things up. The only thing He destroys is the works of the devils. Amen. One of the things that I did in my life, I don't really know where I'm going with this. <laughs> I really do, but I don't know how to get there. I'm trying to figure out. Somehow I got there in the first service, but I can't remember how I did it. I'm trying to remember. Like, how did I get there? How did I get there from here? One thing I, this is one thing the Lord did in my life is over the past few months, He brought me into a time of real reflection. Okay, on my life. And one of the things I began to see about my life, and, and part of it, is it, was, it was the ending thing, that he was bringing some things to an end. And he was letting me begin to see some things in my life. And, and uh, several things is, is, one is he showed me like some le- leadership things, how making leadership decisions and how I had failed in the past in leadership decisions. Okay, and you know the great thing about God, when he tells you when you fail... He's telling you the answer. He's giving you an answer for something. He's not admonishing you about it. He's just saying, look, you don't want to do that again. This, look at the trouble it costs you. Don't make your decisions like that anymore. Here's the way I want you to make decisions. It's a really powerful, powerful thing for me. It's for God to really begin to show me that. So you see, there had to be, I had to make some decisions. That You know what? I'm coming into a new time. It's a time to learn from where I've been. Okay? And not repeat the same mistakes. And see, it's an opportunity. That's, that's what a fresh start is. That's what a new beginning is. It's when you look behind you and you see where you came up short or you failed, but you don't have to do it no more. You can have a new day in your life. You can have a new beginning if you cooperate with the Lord. Of course, I did read a bunch of books on, uh, on preaching. Okay? And I concluded, like this one guy, I concluded, like one, this one thing that really stuck out to me, like, God, I'm glad I didn't go to school to be a preacher. I wouldn't be one. I wouldn't do this if I went to school for it because I could have never done what they were saying. And this is one guy. He's a very respected preacher. He's an old guy. He's preached a long time. And he was talking about the tone of your preaching. 
Okay? And he says, this is how you determine the tone of your preaching. It's the tone of the Scripture that you're preaching from is how you determine the tone of how you preach. And I was thinking, well, how the heck are you going to determine the tone of the Scripture? I have no clue what the tone of the Scripture is. I'm just going to go with whatever tone I have, you know, because I can't figure all that stuff out, you know. And so there's some things that God, there's some places God just doesn't want us to go. You hear what I'm saying? But there's some places He does want us to go. You've got to let God bring you into those places and begin to reveal to you things in order for you to come into a new beginning. Amen? Uh, gosh, y'all ain't really into this, are you? I'm trying to figure out how to get to that. Well, anyways, this is what I wanted to do. There, there, I'm just going to take you through some scriptures in the book of Ephesians, okay? How about that? <laughs> Thank you, Charlie. As, as some of you may know, I'm, I'm sure there's people in this room that literally have been coming to church regularly that have no clue that I've been preaching through the book of Ephesians for over a year now. I'm sure you have no Is that what he was doing? I was wondering why he kept using that book. He was actually doing that. You know, sometimes I've wondered, am I really doing that? Is that what preaching through a book is? Because it's not been the most, uh, you know... You know, like, line, you know, going through every verse and getting some great revelation. Like I say, you just go with what you got, right? But, I, yeah, I got this thing I want to tell you at the end, okay? This is really good. You know, it was really good when the Lord spoke to me. Because, see, I asked the Lord, Lord, somehow I have got to get out of this book. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I've got to get out of this book. I can't, I can't get out of it. I don't know how to get I don't know how to quit Doing it, you know? And Becky even had a dream from the Lord that says, you need to get out of the book. <laughs> Literally. Now, you know you're in trouble with God when He's giving your wife a dream saying, you need to quit doing preaching from Ephesians. <laughs> it's true. I think, okay, obviously God wants me to quit preaching out of Ephesians, but I love this book. That's my problem. I love it. Every time I sit down and start reading it, I get more out of it. And God talks to me. And, you know, as I told you, it's the blueprint book. The blueprint of the church is the, the blueprint of our Christian lives. If, if ever you had a, a young person that got saved or an old person that got saved, this would be the book you could disciple them through. And they would be absolutely profound if they got all the stuff in here. They would have a profound Christian life. Of course, you could do that in the book of Romans also. They would be profound if you could get that book. You'd be beyond profound. Have you ever read Romans lately? Like, woo. Okay, or if you want to know about the end times, how do you say that word again, Matthew? Perusia? Perusia, the second coming of Christ. That's all in Thessalonians. It tells you a lot about the second coming, the Perusia. Anyways, what I'm saying is all the Scripture is pretty good, really, to disciple anybody with. But I wanted to give you these Scriptures. You know, you, know you always like these, wish you could do something over you know, a do-over, like, oh, man, I wish I could go back and do this all over again, just start all over. Well, I was thinking, man, if anybody's starting a church, I would recommend you do that. Just take these or start a ministry if you're going to do a teaching of, to really teach people how to live the life, how to be the life, do Ephesians. Okay? Because you know what? It's the positive, it's the, it's the glory, and that tends to take care of all the problems. It's when you start tapping into that instead of focusing on the problems. All right, so I want to go through each chapter and tell you just a little little highlight of each chapter, and then I'll tell you something at the end, okay? This is it. This is the last, the last time. Now, trust me, okay? Now, that doesn't mean I can't reference to the book of Ephesians. 
and another time. Okay, blessed is, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's what the book's all about. It's all about these heavenly, these, these blessings that God has given us in Christ that we have access. He's blessed us with these things. Okay, and he begins in the first chapter, he, he, the first blessing he talks about is the blessing of adoption. That we have been brought into a family. That God has adopted us and made us children, made us sons, made us His daughters. Being the most, the greatest blessing that we really have is just that one. That, that we live, I'm spitting, <laughs> sorry. We live, we live with a father. We have, we're in a house with a father who loves us and calls us a, ch- a child, calls us a son, calls us a daughter. And we live in that house with him. That's one of the greatest revelations that you will ever have in your life, apart from your, your, your revelation of salvation, is when you come into that spirit of adoption, when you begin to know God as your personal Father, not just as an abstract Father, that when you begin to know Him as a Father, that's the, that's the revelation that your whole life can turn on. Because that is, that is what... That is how you come into your identity. That is how you come into your purpose. That is how you come into your... Everything hinges on that one revelation. Everything. Because you could spend the rest of your life trying to come into what God has for you. And only the Father can enable you to come into that. The more you know Him as Father, the more you know yourself. That is the truth. The more you'll know who you truly are, you can never know Him as Father enough. There's greater and greater revelation. So, so that's really the first thing that, that Paul does. He talks about that. And he also talks a lot about grace in the, in the first chapter of Ephesians. Because grace is a really a primary theme in the Christian life. It's the primary, you know, the primary thing. And so Paul introduces grace right away. Then he introduces these two other things called the mystery. Don't you love that word? The mystery of His will. The mystery of His will. See, God has... This is what Paul's trying to tell the Tell us, God is mysterious. God, God, God operates in mystery. He's a mysterious God, but guess what? God is also a God of the mystery of the counsel of His will. He, his will is not only mysterious, his mysterious, but God also wants to release counsel into our life and counsel us and create an environment in our lives where He communicates His will, His mysterious will to us. Now, here's the truth about God. If you hang around God very long and you get to know God very much, you're going to find out this about God. God does not talk the same language that you talk. He has a whole different language. And see, that's where a lot of people stumble is God speaks another language. The best example I can give is the the example between a husband and wife. Women speak another language. They absolutely speak another language. And as a language, as a man, you will spend the rest of your life, men, trying to figure out that language they speak. You will have many arguments that you will lose because this is what she said. You quote exactly what she said to you, and she'll tell you, that ain't what I meant. You didn't interpret that word right. That word actually meant something else. Here's the definition of that word. It's true. We give these, we got this, I got this message that I love. It's called One Love, Two Languages. Try to give it to all the people we do premarital counseling. And then if you're a husband in real trouble here, listen to that. <laughs> I have to go back and listen to it. 
The actual name of the message uh, is not one love, two languages. The actual name of the message is how to love a black woman. That's true. It's, it's, it, was, it was given by a black man at a, at a manpower conference. So I love, always love it, giving to these white guys marrying a white girl. How to love a black woman. <laughs> but they later changed it to one love, two languages to sort of make it work for anybody. But that's really what they talk about. You know, it's one love, two languages. And, and so that's the way God is. I've, I've discovered some things about God that has blown my mind the way He talks. Is He's revealed some stuff to me, and you know, God will tell you something, He'll share something with you, and you think tomorrow it's going to happen. You've got it all planned out, mapped out based on what He says. And 25 years later, God says, and by the way, now it's going to happen. And you look back and you realize, that's what that meant! You were telling me all this, but you, that one little piece said, and it's going to happen in 25 years. But you're not going to know that to 25 years down the road. And you look back like, oh my goodness. Yeah. That, that's what you call the mystery of His will and the counsel of His will. And Paul wanted us to know that's the way God is. God's mysterious, but God will counsel you. And I'm going to tell you something. God is an excellent counselor. I do want to share this with you because I have this great testimony about the counsel of His will. Back when we were young married people and young Christians, we'd never heard of this thing called sozo or inner healing. You know, I've never heard of such things. This is what we heard of, deliverance. Then you go and sit in a room and somebody yells at you for 30 minutes, <laughs> calling you all kinds of bad names. Because there ain't no demons here, it's just me. I'm being fussed at for 30 minutes. That was the counseling we were getting. So I get out of that. I'm not doing that because I don't like getting yelled at. I'm sensitive. I'm a sensitive boy. You yell at me for 30 minutes. I went in there sort of messed up. I came out. I was a wreck. I was a disaster. I mean, I came in there. I didn't have no demons. I left. I thought, I got three or four demons for sure. It's true. Well, here's what God did. God came to me as a counselor. We would not be married today. God counseled us through early years of our marriage, spoke to us, told us things we need to do. And God counseled me with myself. We started hearing about Sozo and that kind of different types of inner healing ministry, and they would say stuff. That's the reason I bought into it so hard. It's like, well, I already knew all that. I didn't know it because somebody gave a teaching. I knew it because God walked me through it. He counseled me through it on a personal level. That's why so everybody needs this because I don't know that why he did that to this day, you know, he just did it. I mean, he did it because, well, somebody needs to help him. <laughs> he needs help. Nobody's going to help him. I guess I'll have to do it. But that's, those are things that Paul wants us to know about God, about the Father. He's mysterious, very mysterious, but he will counsel you through things. And, my, and I'll tell you this, a lot of things, I'm telling you, I don't care how spiritual you are, and, I'm, and you can go talk to some of the greatest spiritual people. Much of their interpretation is after the fact. Oh, that's what that meant. That's how that works. You can, you can ask them. You ask any of these, uh, you know, mature Christians who've really walked with the Lord and know His voice. Most of them will tell you it's sort of after the fact when you really start getting it. It's because God's a mystery. But God wants to teach us about His language. He wants to teach us about communication. But like I said... It's like communicating with your wife. I've been doing this for 30-something years, and I still haven't got it worked out yet. I, I still got fussed out yesterday because 
she's talking another language. And I'm interpreting it wrong to this day. Anyway, isn't that great that all that's in there? But one of the things he did, I spent a lot of time on that. I love that. One of the things he did in Ephesians 1 is he brought out this prayer, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the acknowledgement of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, Paul said, this is what Paul was saying. Listen, this is an important prayer for you. You need to have the eyes of your heart open because you will never get a hold of this stuff. You will never get a hold of that stuff unless it comes to you by revelation. It'll just be more information packed into your, your life, in your little brain. Your little brain's going to be full of all this information, but nothing's going to happen in your life. So he was saying, I'm praying for you that you'd get the spirit of wisdom and revelation because that's what's going to reveal all this to you, and that's going to make you be able to lay hold of it and see it. It's a very, very powerful prayer uh, that he's given us. In Ephesians 1. And then in Ephesians 2, uh, verse 6, it says, He raised us... Are y'all okay? I'm tired, man. He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. He made us sit there. In other words, Paul was saying, we've been put in a, in a powerful place, and that's with Christ in the heavenly place, with, with Jesus in Him, in Christ, in Christ in us, seated in those places. And Paul is saying, we want this to be a reality in your life. This is not a theory. This is not, you know, you know you're positionally there, but your experience... That's not a good, good way to look at that. We, he's saying, you've got... This is the way this thing works. You've got to live from up there. You've got to live your life from being seated there. You've got to see your life from there. And as long as you... If you can do that, then that's the way this stuff's going to work. Uh, and, he, and he gives us this great uh, thought in there, by grace through faith. And, in, and the blood. He talks about the blood of Jesus. That The blood brings you near to God. Okay, he introduces that thought. The blood brings you near. And later in Hebrews it says the blood keeps us near. Okay? And so Paul wanted to make sure all this we're talking about, the heavenly places, the blessings, all of it has to do with the blood. The blood is what has made, that, uh, made it accessible for us to be able to have these blessings. And the whole book is about the blessings, but without this blood of Jesus Christ, and we've got, to get in, we've got to believe in the blood. We, we've got to believe, and I'm not talking about just believe it like, yeah, it got me in heaven. We've got to believe it in our everyday life when you mess up. Because when most people mess up, what do they do? They draw back from God. And the Bible says the throne of grace, the throne of grace is we might find mercy and grace for help in time of need. We can go to that throne anytime because we're there. We have access to that throne. And so what we have to get in our mind is when I'm messed up, when I'm thinking bad, when I'm doing bad, I need to run towards the throne. Not run away, not hide, not withdraw. And most Christians do that. Though. Most Christians pull back from God. And God is saying, no, you've got to believe in the blood. The blood brought you near initially. And if you'll trust in the blood, it'll keep you near me. It'll keep you near me. If you put, and Paul really wanted the, us to know that, that. This is really a key part of your Christian life because you're going you're gonna to have a hard time. He also, uh, in verse 10, introduces a thing about good works that were prepared beforehand for us that we would walk in. And that's the, the thought of destiny. That's the thought of a life of fulfillment, a life of purpose. That's what he's trying to show. That God has created you uniquely, and he's created something for you, you know, that you're going to walk out, and it's called the happy Christian life. That God really wants us to have this happy Christian life 
of fulfillment, of dreams, of fulfillment of purpose, and of fulfillment of destiny. That's really God's heart for every human being, that we would live that way. How many people are living that way? I'm not going to ask you that again. <laughs> but it's a, it's a powerful thought. And then he brings up this concept of the church. There's a concept of the church in chapter 2 that he, he weaves into all this. In other words, what he was trying to say is, everything that we're talking about, you can't have it just by yourself. It's not something that you can have just as an individual. You have it corporately. You have it as you bond with other believers. You can only have a, a very small measure by yourself. Very small measure. And so Paul wanted to know, this is all tied in with the body of Christ on the earth because it's his body. Okay? All right, then in chapter 3... He begins to talk about, you know, this is what God wants to do with you. This is how, what God wants to do with the church. And it's in verse 10, it says, uh, it, we, chapter 3, verse 10 says, uh, To the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the, by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. That by the church, that God's going to release His wisdom, not just on this earth, Okay, not that we're releasing wisdom from here up there, or wisdom just like this, but we're going to be, in Christ, we're releasing the wisdom into the spiritual realm, into the heavenly places, in there where the enemy's at. And you can't release it there if you're not living there. Okay, and so God wants to teach us how to live from where we really are. Yeah, we're seated there. Everybody in this room, if you're a believer, you're there. You're there right this second. You're just not connecting with that. But he, so he wants to teach you how to connect that I'm there and experience being there. And then there's a mission. And we begin to release this against all this negative, And we begin to break the power of the negative. Instead of living under the negative, we're living over the negative, And we begin to take that negative down. That's really how God wants us to live. And that's what Paul's saying. This is God's dream that you would live that way. And if it's in the Bible, then we can do it, right? It's a, it's a powerful picture. Um, and th- but, but then he gives us another prayer. He gives us the prayer to be able to do that. Okay? He gives us one prayer to lay hold of and see it. Then he says, this is how you do it. It's in Ephesians 3. And he says, this is how you do this. That you would be governed by the Holy Spirit's power in your soul. Okay? In other words, the government of God coming upon the, your soul realm so that the character and nature of Christ would be manifested out of your life. Okay? And that you would be rooted and grounded in what? Love. Okay? And that you would know the height, length, and breadth and depth of His love. Right? So that you could be filled with the fullness of God. See, that's why the love thing is such a key. You know, it's, it's a key to walking in all this. It's a key to releasing the power of God. You know, that and, and allowing the government of God in, inside of you, letting the Holy Spirit have His way inside of you. That's exciting, isn't it? Y'all don't look like y'all are excited about that. It's, but it's powerful. See, that's why we kind of put this emphasis. Let's know the love of God. Let's focus on God loving us. Let's keep letting Him fill us. It's a revelation of God continually over and over and over and over and over filling you with love. If you focus on trying to love God or trying to love other people, you're making a terrible error. Okay? That is not the primary focus of the Bible. I've told people this a lot of times. I've probably told you this a couple of times. You did not want me loving you like I love myself at one point in my life because I was hard on myself. 
And because I was hard on myself, I would be hard on everybody else. Because you can only rightly and properly love and healthily love, love yourself by receiving God's love for yourself. And when you receive God's love for yourself, then you can rightly love other people. That's the way the whole thing works. It doesn't work outside of that. So as we begin to allow God to love us and allow God to enjoy us and allow God just to keep doing it, it's not a one-time event. I think that's what he was trying to say with these different elements and different dimensions of God's love. It's not one time. It's over your life you'll get different revelations of God's love. And just keep just basking in that and keep receiving that. And you'll find yourself loving you a whole lot right and better. And then you can love the other people around you that can be hard to love at times even. And you'll definitely love the Lord a lot more because it's just, it's just flowing out of you. And Paul was telling us that is the secret to all this. That's the secret to the whole thing about living in the heavenly places. If you can live in that love, you're going to be living in the heavenly places. Isn't that good? All right, then chapter 4, it starts to get boring. Right? I mean, oh gosh, now I've got all this revelation. I've got all this awesome stuff. It's so cool. I can sit in my room and just listen to, to worship music and think about all this all the time. But then he uses this terrible word. I therefore the prisoner, and he's talking about being a prisoner, and I never did mess with y'all about that, but one of these days I'm going to get you. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk, walk worthy of his calling. Is there nothing more, nothing less exciting than walking? Walking is every day. Everybody walks. I mean, it's not like, oh, God, great, we're going to walk. Isn't that fun? We're going to go watch a walk race. <laughs> They're going to walk the 100 meter. I'm going to know how fast they're going to do it. Look at that guy walking down the football field. And those guys walking behind him trying to catch him. B- boring. Run, jump, do something. That, but, but it's a part. It's what he begins to do is, listen, you got all this going. you got all this revelation. you got the heavenly places. But you got to walk it out here. You've got to walk in wisdom here. You've got to walk in light here. You've got to walk in love here. And he begins to really focus on that and talk about that. And suddenly the glimmer, it's like the, like I was, one time example I gave you about the architectural plans when somebody's building a house. Oh, look at the front view. Oh, look at the side view. Look at the layout. Look where the toilets are. Look where the master suite is. Blah, blah, blah. Nobody's looking over here on the side how to cut that corner, how to put that foundation point in. Who's looking at that? Nobody cares about that except the guy doing it. You know, and that's sort of what this walk thing is. It's those little details of your life. Oh, yeah, go ahead and build that house and not poor footers. Yeah, go ahead and build. That's what Paul is saying. Go ahead and have all this. Build your spiritual house. Don't pay attention to the details of life. You know, don't pay it. Don't pour your footers right. You know, in the first storm that comes, the house leans over and you slide across the floor and your babies are sliding your toys and your pots and pans. And so he really, really works on in chapter 4 how to walk out the, the Christian life in a real and practical way, in real and practical terms. And another thing that he brings out beautifully in chapter 4 is this question about the church, about why we do church and why do we do what we're doing in church. He, I, has anybody ever had that question? Well, I'm coming to church. Why are you doing this? Have you ever thought that? Why do we? Why do we do this? 
Well, okay, I understand we're supposed to gather, but why are we doing all this stuff that we're doing? Why? Have you ever thought that? I've thought it many times. Come on, wow, I'm, why are we doing this, Lord? Please show me in the Bible where this is at. And it's right there in Ephesians 4. He goes right through it and talks about why the church gathers, what's supposed to happen, what the end results will be. And he has this great focus, not, not just on the individual, but the corporate body and how God wants to bring this body out, this corporate body that he's trying to build in the earth. It's a very powerful picture if you ever had that question. And it's in there. Are y'all excited? All right, then, chapter 5. It's sort of going downhill fast. Okay, I mean, honestly, that's what I'm thinking. This book's going downhill. I've got to get out of it. It's boring, I mean, because he brings out really one of the worst topics there is. I mean, it's what I call the S word. It's called submission. All of a sudden, Paul, everybody's thinking, this is how we trick ourselves. Oh, no, he's talking about marriage. He's talking about children obeying your parents. It's about raising children. It's about having a good marriage. Or it's about how to be a good employee. Well, he was just using that as as an example. Because what he was trying to say is, listen, if you're going to live this Christian life, you better come up to this reality of submission because in every relationship that you have on this earth, there is submission required or you won't have a good relationship. There's submission required in the marriage. People, women have been trashed, doormatted over that, that one, right? You've got to submit to your husband. You know, and if he wants to trash you, then you have to submit to him. That's not right. It's wrong. You know, women should be loving that. Men, some of these men should be mad. I've just taken your, I've just taken your uh, little ace in the hole that you're always pulling out. You gotta submit. I've made my decision. It's not what, it's not what it means. I'm gonna tell you, man. When you start doing that, you are done. You were doomed a long time. You were done. If you've got to pull that card out, you're finished. You ain't got God. It ain't. You know, you've missed it. You're just you're in the flesh, bad. You know. I mean, how about loving your uh, wife as Christ loved the church? Is that like the ultimate submission? I mean, it is so far beyond just, I'm making my decision. It's, it's incredible. And so what God wants, though, is a mutual submission in life. In, in every area of our life, He wants us to submit to each other. He wants people that are part of a church that submits themselves to that body. That doesn't mean people are ruling them. That's not it. It's that we live a, a mutually submissive life. Because that's the life that Jesus lived when He was on the earth. He lived, and, and He tells us, you know, He gives us all these examples. Even in Romans, He talks about the government and how we're required to submit to government. I mean, so it's a part of God's nature. It's a part of who God is. And He's saying, this is how this Christian life is going to work. This is how the heavenly places... What was you saying? Order. They were saying it was order. See, she's right. Okay? All right, I'm about through, believe it or not. We're going through the whole book, and, you know, it's taken me 14 months. I'm doing it all in one, you know, 40 minutes. Are y'all all right? So he sort of, this sort of bleeds over into chapter 6, chapter 5, chapter 6, is those things. And then it works down to this, okay? And this is what you should be saying. Here's the word, verse 10. Listen, this is a very powerful word. Finally. Finally. See, this is a really important word. In this book, finally. Okay? Now, you may be saying, finally, he's going to quit preaching out of this. 
finally, gosh, please. I didn't know you were doing it, but finally you're stopping. Thank you for telling me what you were doing. It wasn't working. So finally stop. But finally is a very powerful word in this book because it means what is left to do. So think about it like this. Paul has given revelation. He has given prayers. He has given details. He has showed the whole picture. And then he comes up, what's left to do? What's left to do? Now, here's the way we look at it. Here's the way I look at that in your Christian life. It's like being married. You have this honeymoon. And the honeymoon is glorious, hopefully. If it's not, okay, it can be glorious. I've heard of people who had bad honeymoons, but it, got, it turned out okay. You know, so you have this glorious, and you come home, and you live this life together. Everything is great. You love this person. You love everything you're doing. Until one morning, you wake up, and you think in your mind, I am so tired of sleeping on one quarter of the bed, and they take three quarters of it. And if I try to even get over there, they kick me away. Because they got three quarters of the bed, and I got one little spot on the edge. And if I roll over, I'll fall off the bed. Why? It was so much better when I had a bed to myself. And they have ruined the toothpaste. They squeeze it from the middle and leave the cap off for it to run all over the sink. And you say something to them, and they just look at you like, Are you an idiot? You're worried about toothpaste? All the feelings, all the emotions, all the desires are like, what happened? What happened? And so what happens in the Christian life is God comes to us and He gives us revelation. We get a revelation of the Father. We get a revelation of adoption. We get a revelation of the spiritual world. We get a revelation of the church. We get a revelation of grace. We get all this stuff and it's burning in us and our hearts are full of passion. You're the ideal church member. We want you in this church. Please come to this church. We love you because you're contagious. You're happy. You're alive. Everybody else around you may be dead, but you're alive and full of passion. Until one day, you come in the church and you're like this. I don't feel anything anymore. Right? What happened to all the feelings? It don't feel so good like it used to. Anybody read that? Like, where's God? What happened... What happened to the Holy Ghost moving? It was so good. What do we do? Make him mad? You know, that's the way we are. And that's what Paul was trying to say here. Listen, you're going to get some revelation. You're going to get some power. You're going to see God move in your life. Okay, now here's the, here's the key. This helped me. Well, you know, I made it in my marriage. You know, even though I'm still sleeping on that one-quarter size of the bed. (laughs) I determined the best way to solve that problem is get a king-size bed. That way my one-quarter at least would be a little bit bigger. Have a little bit more room. And she can have all that vast expanse over there to do whatever she wants to do and have her multiple pillars and all the insanity. That's the best I can do. But I did make it my marriage. And... Those villains came back at time to time. And you feel like, 
you love this person. You care about them. You know, you, that comes back. And, you, you know, you want to be with them. And you miss them when you're away from them after a few days. And <laughs> because Becky's always telling me, well, you like for me to leave so you can be by yourself. And I'm, oh, no, honey, I really don't. Most, I want you to come back. Trust me, I really do. Just, you know, I'm happy here for a couple of days by myself. I can eat what I want to. I can eat when I want to. I don't have to do anything. I can just destroy everything as long as I get it fixed before she gets back. You know how you, how you tone her, like, hey, Becky, while you're gone, the bed was unmade the whole time. Uh, that just like, God, oh, why are you leaving the bed? Have you ever thought about that, about making the bed? I mean, honestly, making the bed is why? Who cares if they're made? I'm going to get right back in them and mess up them. I don't really want to make beds. But if you, in this house, if you don't make the bed, that's probably like one of the, that's like a deal breaker. That bed, that bed's going to be, if you're the last person out, you're going to make that bed. Even though you only get a quarter of it. You have to make the whole thing. Sort of the way God is, you know. You get a quarter, but you have to take care of all this. So what happens with a lot of Christians, though, when they get in that state, they, their heart drifts from God. You see, in the Christian life, this is the truth. I want you to get this. If, if you don't get anything else out of this message besides that Becky likes three quarters of the bed. Your Christian life is cyclical. It goes through cycles. Okay? Now, this is really in the Bible. You find it all over. You find some of the greatest men of God when they're in their greatest state acting like little children saying little children thing. Because the Bible tells us in 1 John 2, 12 through 14, it mentions three groups of people. It mentions little children, young men, and fathers. And it talks about sort of the key things in their lives. Like little children, I'm writing to you little children because you know who, him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you're strong. The Word of God imbibes in you. You've overcome the enemy. That's what it gives you a hint what young men like to do. You know, they're like warfare. They're going to go kick some rear end, buddy. We ain't going to put up with this. We're taking our city for God. We're going to deliver everybody. We're going to preach the gospel to the world. I mean, that's sort of a... But fathers, you know, you know, I'm writing to you because you know the Father. Well, it actually uses the same phrase, one of the same phrases with, for the father and for the little child. And I could never understand that. I could never... Why? Wait a minute. I thought the little children did it. Don't the fathers get something more advanced? And it's like God was saying, no, because there's going to be a time in your life, and I don't care how mature you are, there's going to come a time when you're going to go back to be a little child where you're just thinking about the very basic foundations of forgiveness and just walking in the kingdom. You know, there may be days, there could be even a year. God could take you through a year of that. As a, I'm talking about as a spiritually mature father or mother in the Lord. Or there may be as a, a spiritual mature father where he takes you back into a time where, you know what, this time for warfare for you. You know, the enemy, you're going to really have to overcome the enemy in these areas of your life now. And so what God does, He cycles us through stuff. He cycles us through revelation. And what Paul was saying, he said, he said finally, the thing that's left to do is stand strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And when those temptations come, when the feelings are gone, when, when the revelation is like, oh, that's so boring. Do I have to listen to another message about the Father's love. I love the Father's love. I don't want to disrespect the Father's love. But please give me something new. <laughs> you ever thought that? It's like, oh, I don't want to preach on that again, Lord. Everybody knows that. They're, they're looking bored when I preach on that. 
They're looking tired. It makes them look feel tired. You know? Because they've heard it 98 times. But you see, God brings us back to things. And see, what He's doing, though, He's trying to bring us back to give us greater revelation and greater truth. We will never get away from the spirit of adoption. It's everything. We'll never get away from the heavenly place. It's everything. We'll never get away from the blood. We will always come back to those places. We will always come back to the place of the church, of the body of Christ and the earth. God will always bring us back. He'll bring us through a cycle, through a season, where we'll cycle back through things. And it's not that we've missed God. It's just standing strong, because Paul was saying, because there's an adversary that wants to push you out. And this is really what he said. He wants to push you out of your lofty position. He wants to knock you off the seat. He wants to talk you into getting up and leaving the heavenly places. That's really it. And, he's, and that's why he says, stand. Stand, therefore. Stand where? Where am I supposed to stand on? Stand where I put you. Stand where I placed you in Christ. Don't let him take you out of Christ. Don't let, let, don't let him do that. Don't let him take you out of abiding. You know, this is interesting. I was thinking about abiding again recently. Like, okay, how, what's this abiding thing, Lord? What is this abiding deal? You know, abide in me and I'll abide in you. will bear much fruit. It's this. It's just trusting what God said. And see, what the devil does, he wants to get you to think about how you can abide. How am I going to abide? That's the wrong thought. When you start thinking that way, you're going to disconnect yourself. Here's how you abide. God placed you in Christ. And He placed Christ in you, right? That's what He did. He did that. You can't do that. You can take yourself out, though, by not trusting what God did and believing in what God did. And that's why the devil, that's why he says, you have this armor on you to protect yourself from the lies, the deception, the trickery, and you haven't done all to stand, stand firm where God's put you. And if God decides to give you a, a fresh little time on the Father's love or on the blood or whatever it may be, take that time, receive that time. Because it's, that's really the way it's going to work in your life. Humble yourself to what God's doing in your life and don't be like the man who suddenly lost his passions for his wife, his feelings, his emotions, and looked across the street at his neighbor's wife and decided to wander over there. You know, don't be that man. Or don't be that woman. Be that person that says, you know what, I'm not feeling all this, Lord, but I am going to stand firm in what I do have in Christ. That's the last thing. That's what's left to do. That's the finally of all of it. I'm going to stand firm in what I do have. I'm not going to let go of this because my feelings or lack of feelings are what's going on in my life. That's the truth. That's what finally means. That's the finally that we have in the, in the book of Ephesians. Stand firm in that. Stand firm in all the revelations God given you. Stand firm in it. Don't leave them just because you don't feel them no more. Are you all right? I mean, that's really where God's at. Well, the Lord showed me this picture this morning of... Uh, black church, black community, okay? And you know what black communities do? They have family reunions. And they will buy T-shirts. They'll have T-shirts made. Have you ever seen that? And they'll have so-and-so family reunion. They'll have a date. And sometimes they actually have a, a location because they really highly value community. Black people do. They know some. That's where the white people need to go learn community at is from the black people because they got some revelation on community. Just drive through a black neighborhood sometimes. You'll find community happening there all the time. But they'll do this family reunion. 
It's a reconnection. Okay, when I was up here this morning, that's what the Lord said. This is what I want to do. I want that family reunion. I want to reunion people with me. I want to reunion people who their Christian life doesn't have the emotions and feelings no more. And they've sort of slipped away from God in their heart. You know, because they're, they feel like the honeymoon's over and they're looking at the woman across the street and, you know, they're being pulled on that. And God said, I want to reunion these people with me. Yeah, that's really what the Lord wants to do for people. He wants to reunion us and reconnect us to Himself. It really is. And that's really what I think finally means, besides finally He's finished. <laughs> Let's just stand up and ask the Lord. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Well, I would embarrass you if the Lord wanted to, but I don't think He really cares about that. I want you and me to reunion with the Lord, to have a family reunion with the Father. You know, the, the prodigal son got out there and got messed up. You know, he thought it was something better. Finally, he went back home and had a reunion with the Father. And then his brother was right there with the Father the whole time. Right there the whole time. How many people have been right there the whole time? And you still have this mindset... I've done all this for you and you didn't give me this. You did no party for me. And the father would say, Well, heck, everything I've got's yours. Everything. 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 That's the way he is. It's all yours. But your effort, your striving, your, and not seeing me like that has held you out from having it. And so there's prodigals that leave and there's prodigals that stay. They're all still the same. Day. The sad thing about that story, in my mind, is the last thing we hear about that elder brother, he was still mad. After the father went out and besieged him, he was still upset. The Bible left him, left us with a man that was upset. Because he had everything, but he couldn't get to it. He couldn't access it, just because the way he thought. And he had all this bitterness and had all this judgment in him. You know, I think the Father has a lot more for us. It's a lot more of Him. It's a lot more of His world. It's a lot more revelation. But He's just He's wooing, trying to woo us, trying to call us, you know, to reunion with Him, to reconnect with Him in a real, really good way. And I think that's what the... Uh, the thing about sharing, you know, about trying to look and see the future and all that. This is the future, man. It's whatever God has for you next. It's whatever He has. You know, that's what, that's what your future is. That's what my future is. We don't have to try to figure it out. We don't have to try to figure it out. God wants to release you from trying to figure stuff out that you can't figure out. Let me just say this. In my Christian life, the biggest things that have impacted me the most turn on a little decision. It's maybe God spoke a little thing to me, and I said, yeah, I would, and I obeyed Him, and that opened the door to something that I wasn't even thinking was going to happen. All, you know, that's how your dreams and destiny is fulfilled. It's just like a little, a little uh, thing on the boat, what they call it. 
rudder. It's little compared to the boat, but that turns the whole boat. And say, so we're looking for some big thing. And God said, no, it's really, it really is a little thing that your whole life will turn on. A little word from God, like, do this, okay. And you don't think it means anything, but it opens it up into something that you wouldn't believe. And lots of times we're looking for this big thing, and the little thing is right there, and we're missing the very thing that God had that would lead you into the big thing that He has for you. So, Father, I want to pray for everybody in this room right now that really wants to have this, this viable thing with you. And it, it's, it becomes more real in our hearts than it has been. For some of us, it's been real. Lord, for some of us, it's, it's been a disconnect feeling. We felt disconnected. We felt, we felt off. But Lord, you were trying to... You weren't trying to disconnect us. You were just trying to bring some things to conclusion in our life so you could do something better. And we're in a time where you want to do greater things and, and uh, more awesome things in our hearts, Lord. And so we're saying today, we want to connect with you for those things to begin to happen in a fresh way in Jesus' name. So just raise your hands to God if you want to. And just tell the Lord, Lord, I just want to receive that this morning. Lord, I take away my shirt that says, been there, done that. I throw that shirt in the trash can. And I want to put on the shirt of family reunion. Because, Lord, I know there's no such thing as been there, done that in the kingdom. You want to put a t-shirt on us that says family reunion. The father with his children. The father with his sons. The father with his daughter. August the 2nd, 2011. The family reunion with God. I've been reunited in a sense. I've been refired. I've been renewed in his love. Refreshed in his presence. And I'm starting to see things clearer now. Bless you, Lord. Just bless everybody in this room. Let the power of God come on them. Let, let the fire, let the passions, let the feelings, let the emotions follow our hearts this morning as we say, Lord, I want to be reunited with you in Jesus' name. And I worship you for that, Lord, and I thank you for that, Lord. You guys can be blessed and be dismissed. If you want prayer, come on up here. Be blessed. Have a good one.